Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. We're talking today about building the greenhouse, building the scaffolding. How do you empower teams? Putting the right things in place, people in place, context, all the fun stuff. I think something that we're both dealing with. Jake's here today. Yeah, a lot to get into here. Yeah, I think the the whole concept of the greenhouse is, I actually first heard about it in an interview that Tony Shea, the late founding CEO of Zappos, gave with McKinsey a bunch of years ago. And he talks about this idea, when he talks about his role as the CEO, he had this philosophy about the role that has always resonated with me ever since I read about this. And I actually just pulled it up. I'll read it. He says, to answer the question of what is the role of the CEO? And he says, imagine a greenhouse with lots of plants and each plant represents an employee. Maybe at a typical company, the CEO is the tallest, strongest plant that the other plants aspire to one day become. That's not how I think of my role. Instead, I think of my role as the architect of the greenhouse and to figure out the right conditions within the greenhouse to enable all of the other plants to flourish and thrive. That quote to me has resonated as long as I've read it and that my understanding of that quote has definitely shifted over time as I've matured and gained experience as well. But KG, throwing that out there, how does that land for you? What do you hear in that quote? Oh, yeah. Especially like moving into a leadership role, that journey that you take of failing and realizing yeah. that stuff that you were used to doesn't work anymore in that way. It's a different mentality. It's a different role, right? What he's saying there is correct, especially when you are promoted because you're good at a individual contributor role. So the expectation in your mind is to then keep doing what's working, right? Keep doing what you're good at. And it's a yeah. completely different role. Like it's so different. Yeah. And you learn that the hard way because you fail and you experiment and you get to that point. But that along my journey, I've come across those same moments of understanding what empowerment meant and then experiencing yeah. it at some companies too. And then also understanding what command and control was and like the two sides of the coin here and realizing, well, this is something that I know works empowerment and I believe in that, but yeah. my actions, I'm not actually going through in that. And I'm trying to assess why those actions is, yeah, exist. Yeah. And what's that awareness? It's continuing pushing on this message, continue experimenting with different approaches to building that environment, building the team, seeing what, you know, it's been a journey. I like to do that through action, but I love those quotes and those things to remind you what your role is in, totally. in reassessing you're doing that. In particular, where that resonates with me is how do you build the environment for people to be empowered? Has your understanding of that statement changed since you stepped into more of kind of a head of product type role versus other roles you've had? Being the beneficiary of an empower position as an individual PM, you take for granted the work that goes into creating that environment or you just don't understand it. It's some of the things where you reduce the cognitive load of the individual so then they can feel empowered to make and do the great work is necessary to solve good problems in a way that works for the business. And a lot of those yeah. things you're kind of trained to not think about, right? Because sure. you're also you're yeah. in an empowered role. So I think now it's been more trying to reassess what situation worked, what were the things, the inputs that went into the situation that made that possible? And how can I continue to make those changes where I have more control to influence that? And it's definitely changed the role itself. It feels like I do yeah. a lot less 
which is good. Yeah. And in, in a way, yeah. like and less of less of what I thought I should be doing. And oh, interesting. More of what I should be doing. Yeah. Do you <laughs> have an example of that? Like what what's one of those sure. things that you've come to realize that is something that you really shouldn't be doing that you previously thought oh. was top of the list? Oh man. Getting into the weeds on roadmaps and projects. Even like getting down to the nitty-gritty of how people work together. Like just, oh, here's the artifacts that I want you to use. Here's the roadmaps I want tools I want you to use. Here's the processes we're going to use as a team. It's like, it's been more of like, no, just let them do how they figure it out. But just provide yeah. the right environment to figure it out, right? And the safe regards, the ambitious goals and targets and the mindset. And so it's been more of that versus like yeah. being prescriptive on the details of how right. they execute against it, if that makes sense. But yeah, it makes a ton of sense. And this is a lot of what I'm thinking about right now. You know, it's interesting hearing you talk about how you're not thinking about how your team works like because i contrast that with a lot of where my head goes where my discussions have been going recently is a lot of it is kind of focused on how product gets done and really trying to dive into and stay curious into the why why are certain things happening that may not be quote unquote the right way or the best way to do product and one of the things that we're focusing on a lot right now as a product leadership team at ibotta is the concept of the fear of failure how do we create a safe environment to experiment, to fail, to test, to do all of these different things and to throw ideas out there that aren't totally baked and they're not fully polished and how we can aim for progress over perfection in a more agile sense. I think we talk about that a lot as product professionals and product leaders, but that fear of failure can be so pervasive and curious to hear how you've thought about that and and handled that with your team. There always should be a little bit fear of failure, but it should be targeted on the right failure, if that makes sense. The failure to sustain your product, a failure to your customers or to the company's revenue. Those are the things that you need to protect. You should fail in order to solve a problem and that's how you learn and get better. But there should be a healthy fear of failure of not protecting the customer experience, not protecting the revenue streams. I mean, I think that's that's very that's an okay fear. And now how yeah. we treat that as a leadership team, how we put the systems in place to evaluate, to measure, to reward, to punish, those kind of things. That's your greenhouse. Mm-hmm. And that greenhouse, it's already set up. It's already there, whether you've yes. influenced it or not. And so you have to understand the environment of it today to then change it. What are the actual tangible things that we're doing in order to facilitate that? A lot of my role, and I think it goes along the same analogy as a greenhouse, is I'm the coach. I'm like Ted Lasso, right? Whatever. Like I'm on the side. Yeah. And you're the quarterback and your team, you're scoring that goal, right? And what I'll do is I'll I'll tell you where to go, how fast. I'll I'll tell you there's the goal and I'll tell you what's out of bounds. Yeah. But I'm expecting you to get there, right? I'm not not the player, so I'm not going to be in there and passing the ball or kicking it, right? But I'm going to be encouraging you to get there. I'll be giving you feedback. And it's that encouragement, push and drive. And as a player, you're going to be upset sometimes. You didn't perform the way you wanted to. Absolutely. That happens all the time time, right? That fuels the growth and your competitiveness and your performance. And so I think that all kind of plays into it. It's the, how do you facilitate that environment from happening again? Going back to, sorry, I went more theoretical than tangible, but tangible. I think some of the think community practice meeting every week. So we do Wednesday afternoons where it's an open forum for PMs to share either their opportunity assessments or product charters which is kind of the way that artifacts that we use here showcase what they're working on, what they're thinking through, ask for feedback, any revisions, any things they, you know, be their blind spot essentially. 
And it's been a very collaborative, healthy, creative environment. And it's not been a presentation of like, what did you do for this? You know, <laughs> and then, oh, that's not good enough. Right. And what have you. It's very much of like, y'all know the goals. We all know the goals. We're not going to diminish your intelligence to say like, <laughs> it's yeah. not, you know, you know what, what good looks like. We hire good people. So we know. And then yeah. the expectation yeah. is like, yeah, well, the blind spots, right? Like we're here. We've seen a lot of different permutations of this. Let's help you. Yeah. Love what about that. you? How are you thinking about this? And yeah. Yeah. I think one thing that we've realized is we haven't been as clear about what good looks like in the context mm. of Ibot as we probably should be. So we've spent a little bit of time just trying to define, trying to name what is quality product development and what should that look like? I mean, really kind of taking some of the agile best principles or best practices and applying them to within the context of Ibotta and what that means within how we tend to work in Ibotta and how to make it the most successful that it can be. And part of that is to help our team understand kind of what the measuring stick is or what the rubric is, or like being able to recognize good when they see it, particularly some of the more junior folks who may not be as experienced. But we've also found that it can be really helpful with setting expectations with stakeholders too, in that there is a little bit of not misunderstanding or confusion, but probably misalignment on what's happening and when and what kind of activities are happening, particularly when we're presenting out, say, a design or a strategy and asking for feedback without the context of where we are in the product development cycle. Stakeholders can occasionally tell themselves a story that is a little bit more dire or a little bit more risky than what reality actually is. So for example, let's say you walk into a meeting with a stakeholder and you looking for feedback about blind spots and trying to get executive level context on a particular vision or, or strategy. And without the context of where we are in the product development cycle, a default assumption could be, oh, we're launching this thing I'm looking at a Figma design for within a couple of weeks, when in reality, that may not be the case. And so helping everyone understand kind of how we approach product and where things are sitting in the product development cycle is something that, that we've just recognized as something that could be really helpful in creating that safety and that stability with team members who are trying to work through new product opportunities. How are you doing that? Like in practice, are you presenting or are you sharing out how the, what we do in product? Like what does that look like? Yeah. What we've worked on is trying to visualize, trying to come up with our own visualization of product development philosophy. Mm. Something that's a relatively simple representation of best-in-class product development that we can continuously reference over time. And so we could say like, oh, this is an idea in the evaluation phase, if you will. And there are a couple of different cyclical actions that happen in that phase as we think about collecting signals, evaluating ideas, doing rough math on opportunity size, and really just to get an idea of where an idea is in the priority list. And then, okay, cool. At some point we make a decision that this, this is something that we want to invest a little bit more discovery time into in particular, maybe it's research, maybe it's design, maybe it's more direct stakeholder interactions or user interactions and helping folks understand what's happening in each part of that cycle and really just to set expectations on what's happening, what kind of feedback is, is most helpful in this stage and helping folks who may be a little bit unsure about what kind of interactions should be happening between different functions have a better understanding of like, this is what we should be doing if we feel like we're off track. I've got some questions for you. Let's jump into it. We're just experimenting with this now. So it'll be really interesting to see how it helps or doesn't help. I've done what you've done before. Yeah. How'd it go? I'll tell you that. It doesn't work. Why do you need to educate your stakeholders on the process? Do they explain to you in a nice visual way how they conduct sales? Do they talk about how marketing does X, Y, Z? 
Why do you need to do that? That's a really good question. No, they don't. So why is the effort yeah. in place, right? What do you yeah, think? I think it's a really good question. I think it comes down to the kinds of interactions that we have with stakeholders. A lot of it is, I would say product is probably the function that requires some of the most, if not the most cross-functional collaboration at the business. Like I don't find myself giving as much feedback on say a marketing campaign, maybe that's something that we're not doing well either. Maybe I should be. But the fact that we are working through feedback and having conversations about what we're doing, what we're building and prioritizing and so forth means that I think there needs to be some expectation set of what kind of feedback is most valuable and when. And really that's what it comes down to. And this is just an attempt to solve that problem and trying to help folks understand what kind of feedback is most helpful at what point in the process. You mentioned early on one scenario, the stakeholder was worried that we were going to ship this thing without doing whatever mm -hmm. we normally do on product. Was that something that you see a lot? Yeah, a lot. I don't know. It sounds like you're having too many interactions with stakeholders and not at the right time. It doesn't make sense to me. And I don't know why this is working. Yeah. And it's like, I only say this from recent experience going through what you're going through. So it, it, it might only work in my context and my scenario. What I've seen sure. is that by scaling back those conversations, and including them at the right moments, whether you're kicking off a project, whether you've gone through the validation phase, what have you, and now you're getting ready to go to your first cohort, or those kind of moments, you know, a checkpoint at planning, those kind of things, that yeah. gives them enough to inform their work if they're relying on it, for example. And it's also, they're less in the weeds of all of the nuance. They don't need to know every step of our process and how we go do things. That kind of trust we do. And I wonder where that distrust is stemming from. Is it because products yeah. and, and buggy, they're buggy? Like we have a lot of bugs in the system. Is it because we're breaking revenue at key critical moments? Is it because we're pissing off customers? Like I analyze those elements and make sure that we are protecting those things appropriately. So then yeah. we yeah. can go with speed, empowerment, and confidence, right? And so I think it's a little bit of that. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know the exact situation, right? But from my experience with that, when I feel the need to explain, something's broken. And I'm trying to yeah. like assess no, why. It's a, re it's a really it's, good point. Yeah, and then getting really back to the point. root cause and then saying, well, okay, so how, how best can we empower our teams? What if yeah. they can measure mean time to recovery? They can measure how many bugs that they're contributing to the system. If yeah. they measure the quality yeah. of the code that they ship, maybe that's one way that we can help empower them to make better decisions. Because if that's all humming, there's no risk. If that's all home, yeah. if the customer revenue stream is unimpacted, if all that, you know, great, have at it, go fast, right? But it sounds like we're not there yet. And so why, right? And then analyzing it and putting the right systems, that's your greenhouse, putting their house in place to Yeah. And quality, right? I think what it, what it's come down to, these are just some recent examples that I'm drawing upon, but I think a lot of it is scope definition and understanding what's in scope versus out of scope in a particular version of the product, whether it's MVP, V1, V2, so forth. Some of the things that we've been trying to address are things like perfection over progress, especially when going from zero to one, not trying to build everything that we think we need out of the gate, really trying to reinforce an MVP approach. It's okay for it not to be perfect. It's okay Absolutely. for it to be incomplete. We got to test it. We got to see what, see what works, see what doesn't. And is that misalignment, meaning stakeholders are afraid to 
push something out faster or is it the misunderstanding of how PM's expectations on delivering this? It's more, I would say on the stakeholders, mm. especially when we're introducing a product for the first time to say a user segment that has never had a technology solution from Ibotta before, that can be a little bit nerve wracking, right? Because a lot of those relationships have been built and maintained and really invested in over time. So there's a lot at risk here. And I think there's just a worry and an anxiety and well-founded one, but helping everyone, not just the product team, get over that fear. Do you all as a product team have direct access to your customers? Yes. Do you have to go through an account manager to get access to the customer? Sometimes, and I'm working on that. The answers to that question should be no, but we're getting it. Usually with B2B, it's typical, but I would say there's ways to facilitate that directness that we're still exploring with too. So by, I don't think it's been perfected, mm -hmm. but that is critical, right? Because if you don't, then you continue to have those conversations you just talked about, right? Like, yeah, it's taking so, yeah. so long to land this customer. Like, don't fuck it up. It's like, yeah, yeah it's like, okay, man, well... You know, in product, that's not how we operate. Like we just, we move fast, we break shit, we yeah. experiment, like it, we roll things out, we find product market fit and we go, right? And so yeah. if you're with us, even with a particular segment, I do think building like a community of that segment is helpful. So, or finding that community where they're at, and then you can tap into that community at certain times. Yeah, That's helpful. And so we're experimenting yeah. with those things, but that might be something that might help with that. If we were to wrap this yeah. up with some homework for our listeners, it sounds oh, like, we, I mean, we could yeah. talk about this forever. I think there's a lot of good stuff in it, Yeah, but uh, what yeah. would you give to them? I would, man, seek the question that I think about a lot right now in a variety of contexts is the question, what are you afraid of? And that question can be asked to a product manager. That question can be asked to a stakeholder. That question could be asked to a client even potentially or a user. But especially if you're feeling headwinds in your product process for whatever reason, shape or form, asking that question probably starts to uncover some of the root causes. The question of why, right? Why do you need yeah. this? What anxiety do you have? Use your user researcher hat see what you can get to. I've been fascinated with this as well. I think read up on that Zappos quote. I love that. Figure out how other people are doing it. I think Marty Kagan does a good yeah. job at articulating some of the stuff that he's pushing. Reread that book. I mean, it's huge. It's hugely helpful. I love his work there. So I think that's always just kind of opened up some thoughts around this. I think the Accelerate DevOps book, that's kind of interesting. That was kind of something I discovered recently. There's four key metrics for code bases that they measure the DevOps health of code bases and high-performing teams do what low-performing teams do. And that was really eye-opening to kind of just set some sort of scorecard and just focus the team on the quality of code, gives them the confidence that yeah. they can ship fast and break shit. And so I think, not break shit, but ship fast with quality. And I think that's the nuance. I think those are some good reads. And uh, yeah, I'm sure there's, there's way more to talk about. You got to come back next week. We'll yes. talk more about oh, it. Oh, it's to be continued. To be <laughs> yeah. continued for sure. Right. Well, it looks like we finished up our coffee, so go level up. This has been Product Coffee, produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Anchor, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover. And who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.